welcome to the next episode in our Diversity Faculty podcast series. I'm Laurie Ollivant, Senior Lawyer in the Employment and Incentives team, and I'm joined today with Alexandra Bedas, Partner and Global Head of our Employment and Incentives practice. In today's podcast, we're going to look at the link between diversity and remuneration. So Alex, can you start by setting the scene for us a little and explain how diversity and inclusion metrics might be used to determine remuneration? Of course. Um, So this, I think, has come out of the financial crisis back in 2008, where regulators were looking at the the causes of that and what what could change to try and address it. And and some of the issues were about poor culture and conduct failings. And there was certainly a view that non-financial performance metrics could help with that. And so since then, we've seen all these rules coming out in the financial services space, which are meant to address that and ensure people aren't just being paid for making money, but but also for ensuring that there's a right culture in the firm. And so diversity and inclusion is, is a very important part of that. And I think it can happen in two ways. You can have a discretionary-based bonus and incentive arrangements where it's very clear that that will be something the firm takes into account. But you can also have a much more detailed, balanced scorecard where particular metrics around diversity and inclusion are set out and people know very clearly what they have to achieve for a certain amount of payout. Um, So those are the, the two options, I'd say. Across the financial services sector in particular, I know we've seen the UK regulators focus on the role that diversity and inclusion play in supporting better decision making, better outcomes for firms and customers and enhanced risk management. And in July this year, we had the discussion paper by the FCA, PRA and Bank of England on their plans to monitor, track and improve diversity and inclusion in regulated firms. And alongside a wide range of other policy options across various different diversity related topics, it actually asks the question of firms, do you think linking remuneration to diversity and inclusion metrics as part of non-financial performance could be an effective way to drive progress? So Alex, do you have any views on, on that particular question? So I think it certainly focuses the mind of managers if, if they have incentives linked to progress on diversity and inclusion targets. Um, but there are certainly different schools of thought on that because on the other hand, it, it could le- lead to sort of short-term thinking or you know, how do you set the target at the right level when these things are long-term goals ultimately. And so you know, one, one school of thought is rather than having specific metrics that, that it's just generally taken into account. You know, are managers creating the right culture of inclusion, which is so important. And you know, it, rather than having specific diversity targets, you, you just look more, more long term. Obviously happy to discuss that in further detail. Um, well, in particular, I know the FCA has written to the chairs of, of remuneration committees recently over the summer again, and has actually emphasised the importance of ensuring a firm's remuneration policy supports and connects remuneration outcomes with a firm's strategy, values and purpose. But what role do you think a chair can play here? So I think the role of the chair is really important at making sure this is on the agenda and the remuneration committee consider carefully what is right for the firm, taking into account their policy on diversity and inclusion. And so it may be that you know, different firms take different approaches on this. Some, some committees may feel there is so much that needs to be achieved on this that they do need very strong targets integrated into remuneration structures. 
But on the other hand, they might feel like actually the culture of the firm is right, that there's just really a, a, a need to focus on the general culture that management are creating and ensure that that's taken into account in decisions, but they, they feel like they don't need specific metrics. So I think making sure the Remco chair feels accountable for this will, will mean something happens and something happens that is right for the firm. Yeah, so I know it's probably fair to say at this point as well that this isn't something we're just seeing in the financial services sector because we have evolving corporate governance expectations and so we're seeing those manifest themselves into how other corporates and, and institutions look at these types of issues. So can you tell us a bit more about the trends that you're seeing more broadly across other sectors beyond financial services? Definitely. So this is absolutely not just in the financial services sector. So remuneration committee chairs at listed companies in the UK and across Europe are under massive pressure from investors to integrate ESG into remuneration structures. And there are some brilliant chairs out there who have thought very, very carefully about this and then decided actually targets for their company are just not going to achieve what they want because if they set a target it's by nature going to be shorter term than their actual policy approach on this so for instance you know on diversity and inclusion metrics you may be trying to achieve something over a 10-year period just like with climate change or, or other social and governance metrics in this space your your goals as a company are over a very long period and if you try and break them down to actually one year for bonus or, or three-year targets then you have to make sure you set it at the right level you know do you set it so it's very stretching, um, but how do you know what's very stretching? And if you set it too stretching, management will just get disincentivized and sort of write the whole thing off so it becomes pointless. Or there's a risk that you make it too soft and then people say you're not paying enough attention to this, it's not an important priority. So I think just being able to set it at the right level is, is what some Remco chairs struggle with. I think if the actual policy document the firm has on these things, on diversity, actually sets out milestones over a short, medium-term period, it's much easier to then tie that to remuneration. And I know that's something we're looking at more on the DNI side as well, as we're seeing more charters, pledges, commitments on diversity and inclusion yeah. in initiatives and across different characteristics as well. So it is really difficult for businesses to know where to go and what to follow and what the direction of travel might be for yeah. them. Um, if companies are considering how they can link some of their non-financial metrics to their performance and reward assessments, whether that's purely ESG focused or it's drilling down more into diversity and inclusion, can you tell us some of the issues or perhaps the unintended consequences that they might need to be mindful of? Yeah, so I'd say there are probably three key points to be mindful of. Um, the first one is actually, do you have the right data that you can rely on to measure these things? And, and that's a fundamental point, obviously. Um, but obviously, obtaining information from individuals relating to their personal characteristics is not straightforward, given that there's a reliance on the individual to voluntary, voluntarily disclose that information. So obviously, if you don't have it, how are you going to measure it? Very simple. Um, the second point is flexibility. As you say, so much is changing at the moment. There are constantly new charters, benchmarking tools, governance expectations and regulatory initiatives. So something you set today, you could revisit in a year's time because you think actually things have changed, things have moved on, actually there's more we need to do here. So you do need to make sure you're not too restrictive and, and you build in flexibility. And that's another reason why some firms are just going for a kind of discretion approach on this 
they have to make sure it's considered, but they don't necessarily spell out particular metrics, and that provides more flex and, and the ability to really move with the firm's approach on that. The third is just to make sure about the messaging around it. So, you know, just as we've talked about with the metrics, you know, the risk of them looking too soft and then and how that might be perceived. And then also just the idea of linking monetary value to these things as well. You know, there's always a risk it, it could be perceived in the wrong way. But, but finally, I suppose I'd like to just pause on an, another school of thought out there. Um, which Professor Alex Edmonds of London Business School really has focused on. And that's just about maybe instead of all of this, companies should just look at long-term shareholding. Because if you make somebody hold shares for a long time, they will be incentivized to make sure the company is, is built in a sustainable way. And actually at banks, they already have to have their senior managers holding shares for three to seven years. So they have that long-termist built in. Um, and I think maybe there will be a move to more of this. We're certainly seeing it at listed companies where companies are now thinking maybe restricted shares where people just hold shares for a long time rather than having very complicated long-term incentive arrangements can actually achieve more because it's focused on long-termism. That's really interesting, particularly the whole focus on long-term sustainability of yeah. an organisation and an ESG minded objectives as well and, and how you actually drive change, meaningful change in the long yeah. term rather than just the short term box ticking, which I think is always the risk with lots of these d initiatives. Exactly, because if you don't build a diverse and inclusive culture, then your company is not going to be sustainable. And so it's really just built into the success of the company. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Pleasure. Um, thanks everyone for listening and please stay tuned for the next episode in our podcast series.